about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. You know, the luck of the Irish is good forever, but a Trojan is only good once. Welcome to USC Week. It's Rivalry Week. <laughs> I'm here with Steve, and I'm also here with a good friend of mine, Evan Scrimshaw, um, another Canadian. For once, we'll have more Canadians than Americans on the show. Um, we met at university in Ottawa. Um, he's a huge college football fan. He does a lot of uh, support for our podcast, so we're so glad to have him on. Evan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Just honored to be uh, just honored to be this week's uh, to to be on the pod this week. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that's great. Um, should we give the uh, disclaimer of your loyalties now? Yeah, why not? Um, I am a Notre Dame fan. I wish them well, but I am not particularly. Uh, I am a Florida Gators fan, University of Florida Gators fan, first and foremost. But I mean, I don't think we have ever played you guys, so. You know, <laughs> I, I can cheer for Notre Dame full well in the confidence that the chances that we ended up in a playoff game against each other is vanishingly small. And uh, if you don't mind me asking, how did you become a Gators fan, if you can kind of summarize that real quick? Uh, I have uh, I have family friends from when my mother lived in Florida who live 15 minutes from the Florida Gators campus. Awesome. So. And did team T- Tim Tebow help at all? <laughs> Yeah, no, my, my formative Gators moment was the Chris Leak, Tim Tebow, like split quarterback year where they won the championship over uh, Ohio State in 06. So, yeah, yeah. We, we don't really like the Buckeyes too much anyway. Nah. And we don't like to remember 2006 either. Ooh, sorry about that, guys. Didn't mean to. And anytime you say 2000 and Notre Dame fans all automatically start crying. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're so glad to have everyone back here this week. Um, recording a little later, but I'm really excited to get into it. Um, Bowling Green, huge game for the Irish, which I don't think any of us three watched live. Um, I know you uh, PBR'd at Evan. I watched it the next day. Uh, Steve might have got some of it at the golf course. Um, but big win, 52 nothing. It's our first shutout since Michigan 2014, where Notre Dame had rightfully won 37 nothing, despite what the score says at the end of the game. Um Thoughts on the game, Steve? Um, they are who we thought they were. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, just a pathetic team. Brian Van Gorder. I mean, thanks for playing, I suppose. Um, pretty much what was expected. I mean, what did we say? Six. I said specifically 66 to 3, or 63 to 3, rather. And our defense was three points better than what I anticipated. So... <laughs> Uh, I'm sure our offense could have poured it on if they wanted to. They kind of scaled back. Obviously, Jerkovic came in, and and so did uh, I think Clark even saw a series or so. But pretty much expected. And it, it, most importantly, I guess my my foremost thought is uh, Notre Dame blew out a team that they should have blown out. Something that, speaking of the uh, the you know the 2000 and something, that's something that that team those teams never really accomplished. You know, they always found a way to make a, a game tight when it should have never been. So uh, should have blown out, did blow them out. No real injuries uh, to, to, to 
you know, to, that came into play. So get healthy, you know, get reps for younger guys, especially K Ham and overall. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah, I, I I took sixty nine to six. Um, I forgot. I totally didn't anticipate the fact that the offense wouldn't be trying as soon as they p- kind of put in the backups. Like Clark was kind of running the ball for the one drive he was in. Like they didn't even try to pass it. Um, so yeah, it was kind of what we thought. A big blowout. We saw that in the advanced metrics of Bowling Green that they were just awful. Um, the way I'd like to put it out there is this was a game to get the wrinkles out of Ian Book's game. You know, this was just about getting a book on track. I just to interject very quickly. I do have some uh, some more stats that I actually was keeping track of when I was watching the game. So we'll get into that shortly. But please take the lead. Yeah, no, it was just um, you could see they were just trying to find uh, different kind of routes that would work for him, um, getting him to see the field, to be confident, to use his feet. Um, just just all around, it's an Ian book game. You could tell going in. I think. I mean, even Kelly could tell <laughs> this is going to be a game about just kinking out the ranks, getting ready for a big uh, rivalry week. So I'll just kind of give you the uh, the quick breakdown uh, box score, basically, of the game. Um, Notre Dame out-yarded, I don't know if that's the way you say it, uh, Bowling Green 513 to 228, um, 340 passing yards for the Irish, 233 on the ground. Um Big one, Notre Dame averaged 6.9 yards per rush, which is, I think, the first game in a while. They've actually, that's a decent number. Um, Bowling Green only got 2.8 on a rush. Um, One turnover for uh, Bowling Green, none for Notre Dame. Um, The turnover battle has been a really big thing this year for the Irish. Um, And one thing I'd like to point out, because we've given them a lot of shit for it, is Notre Dame went 8 for 11 on third down. Um, that's amazing, considering they had one of the worst third down um, efficiencies in college football to go 8 for 11. I mean, against a team that doesn't really belong, you know, that would probably lose to a Texas high school, but still. Um, sorry, I got distracted by the dog. <laughs> uh, for those who can't see, Steve has a dog with him, and it's adorable. Um, so basically, pretty good game for Notre Dame. The scoreline reflects exactly what we saw. Um, Evan, uh, I know you took some some notes. Um, we unfortunately you had to do this for Bowling Green <laughs> if you were coming on for USC Week. So uh, what did you see? Um, I saw like a so I'm a big golf fan, and I know Steve was golfing uh, this weekend. It's the golfer. It's the golfer who plays the really easy tournament two weeks before a major. It's the I don't, I'm not going to win this week. It's fine. It doesn't really matter. I want to get into form for when I'm playing the real competition, USC, this week. Like, they did everything that they wanted to do. They like they ran the ball well. They did what they were supposed to do against a team of the utter lack of quality of Bowling Green. They played the game they were supposed to play, and they did it well. Um, Book was substantially better. He, he is, like, I, I, I saw a lot of less happy feet with him, which was something that you guys talked about last week, and I was... I don't want to say I was impressed in the sense that, like, this is what Ian Book is supposed to be doing, but it's still good that he's playing the way he's supposed to play. This isn't, oh, you're 30-point favorites or whatever you were, and you win by 17. It's your 30-point favorites or whatever they were, and you win by 52. The defense was amazing, and while Bowling Green isn't good, like, it's still really hard to shut out a team in college football. So I was overall, like, really happy as a... Like, if I'm an event, I come out of that week, like, really just thoroughly happy. 
Yeah, and I think I like that you brought up the uh, the cover part because I think Notre Dame, depending on how you got the Louisville line, has covered every game this year. Um, I got Louisville line at the bad at a bad line, which where they didn't cover, but they were right around that mark. But New Mexico, Georgia, uh, UVA, and now Bowling Green, Notre Dame has covered the spread in every game. Um, and we had said on the podcast, good teams win, great teams cover. Um, so yeah, no, that's some good thoughts. Uh, did you see anything else in the game, or was it just kind of um, Ian Book? settling in um the the defense is just the defense is exactly as good as the as people who like Notre Dame want it to like want to think it is it is elite championship level defense like like the like like they did what they were supposed to do against UVA they did what they were supposed to do against Georgia but like the, like they are just the elite defense that can keep Notre Dame in games even when Book isn't playing amazing, and that's the thing you need sometimes. You need the ability that if Book throws up a stinker against Duke or Pitt or Navy, not saying he will, but if, you know, that defense can can win them a game. And that's a really important thing in the grind of a college football season. Yeah, well well said. Um, I, I think that's that's exactly it. Um, a lot to look forward to, um, or a lot, lot of positives to take away, at least from the game. Um, as you said, you know, shutting out a team is really hard in college football. That defense has really been settling in week by week. Um, the uh, rushing yards allowed per per game has been dropping, um, especially per attempt. Um, so that's, yeah, it's good all around. I think this was a perfect tune-up game. Um, you you give a good golf analogy. I mean, I can give a boxing analogy. <laughs> you fight a, you know, kind of a no-name before... Um, as you're building up somebody um, or before big, big fights. So um, Steve, anything else uh, before we go on to the four horsemen? Um, just to quickly get into what I saw in regards to every single third down, I had a, a note in my phone and I was like, all right, what's the down and distance and what happened? Uh, so the first third down was third and six. Ian book uh, drops back. Feels some pressure, scrambles, you know, and it basically played out as a draw, essentially, you know, gain of two, so stop short of the line, they have to punt. Happens once, all right, not the end of the world. Uh, the very next third down, it was third and one, and surprisingly enough, he threw, uh, Bookie threw a back shoulder throw, uh, maybe about 10, 10 to 15 yard range to Javon McKinley, who makes the catch, first down. Very next play was the touchdown pass to Tommy Tremble. So, you know, you're keeping the plays, you're, you're extending drives, keeping the plays alive, and then, you know, it's ending in points. Always a good sign. Um, the next third down was a third and three uh, pass. You know, I, I'm sorry, play action. You know, that he just flicks the ball over to Cole Komet. I think it was a two-yard pass, but uh, Cole Komet goes for seven. The very next play is uh, Chase Claypool's first touchdown. On his next third down, it was third and one. Another play uh, play action pass to a tight end for a first down. And third and six, incomplete. And then third and 16 was the uh, play he extended when they were only rushing three and dropped eight. Finds McKinley in the corner for the touchdown. Those were the... Uh, those were the plays that I saw in particular, and, and there there might have been more third downs after that, but the game was like very much in the bag. I think it was at least thirty-five nothing at that point. So, in in the time of the game that it mattered, at the, or at the very least, before I I got a little bit too drunk at the bar I was at down in South Carolina, um, <laughs> Ian Book was four for six on third down uh, with you know with a touchdown pass, and 
he just he kept the the chains moving this was something that you know we we diagnosed his prog or we we came up with his his prognosis um you know last week or two weeks ago in regards to his third down woes so you know inferior opponent it's it it, it is a tune-up game it is um you know grinding on on the golf range and making sure that you have everything just put in place so that way when when the real game comes which will be this upcoming saturday you have everything uh like a well-loyed machine so it was good to see him uh you know stay in there make the throws i like i like to play calling a lot the and and uh and yeah pretty much we did what we were supposed to do kind of just going back to my original opening statement yeah, no, well said. If I can kind of pause for a moment, um, something that's so great about doing a podcast is the reach that we get we get to have. And uh, using Anchor, um, the the software or the platform that we're on, um, we can kind of see where people listen from. So I'd just like to give a shout out to the listeners uh, across the pond, across the world, really. Um, we have some listeners in Ireland, in the UK, um, in Australia and even in South Korea, um, among others, uh, we even had a listener uh, in Sweden at some point. So, just a shout out to all you guys. Um, thank you for for tuning in. Um, it's really great that we could reach um, just beyond our backyard. So, that being said, um, let's get into the four horsemen. And I I want Evans four horsemen first because I have a feeling he's going to make Steve really really happy. I'm going to make Steve really happy and I'm going to make you really happy because my four horsemen, uh, four to one or one to four. I don't uh, know. You... Four to one, I guess. I think that's, <laughs> it doesn't okay. really matter. Okay. Four chase Claypool two uh, two touchdowns all around. Great game. Got a shout out my Canadian love to love chase Claypool. Definitely. An, definitely, definitely an NFL talent. I don't know how high, but he's definitely an NFL talent. Three, Jameer Jones. Great, uh, great game on defense. Came up with, uh, I think it was two, t- two tackles for loss. Uh, was wreaking havoc uh, all game on the defensive line. Amazing game from him. Uh, two, Ian Book. I mean, he was exemplary. I don't need to go on and on and on about him. Uh, oh, wow. Put you put him, one. <laughs> put him number one. Phil Jerkovich. What a game. Five for seven. 79 yards touchdown i think a qbr of 98.4 for memory it was other 97.9 i was gonna say i couldn't remember i couldn't i couldn't keep uh ian books and phil jerkovich's extremely high qbrs uh straight in my head but man oh man i have a i have a hot take which we're gonna which uh makes sense here phil jerkovich will lead the notre dame fighting irish to a victory in the college football playoffs while at notre dame I can't wait. I don't care what year it is, as long as that happens. <laughs> that's that's always been my longstanding theory, because uh, and and that is why I literally call him the chosen one, because he he is the one that's going to get us over the hump, and and hopefully that hump has gotten over this year, by the way. But um, you know, let's not get too out out ahead of our skis. But thank you very much, Evan, for the uh, for the vote of confidence in my my beautiful baby boy. <laughs> I mean, when he plays, I mean, when he plays as well as he did, like. There's nothing. There's nothing I can do about it. Just ride the, just ride the train of truth. Stop! You're making me blush. <laughs> I do. I do know the. I do know the audience to which I'm currently speaking. Yeah, that you do. That you do. So, um, uh, Dylan, how about you? Uh, you give us your horseman. Sure. Um, I went number four, uh, Javon McKinley. Um, another big game for him. Um, he's been a little inconsistent this year, but when he shows up, he shows up. He had five receptions, 104 yards, which averaged out for 20.8, uh, and he got a touchdown. Um, I visibly 
recall, which is huge because I have a bad memory these days. Um, I say that as if I'm not, you know, in my early 20s. Um, he had a, a few great catches, um, shoulder throws from Book that he just caught, um, kind of dominated the ball at the point of attack. Um, and then he's a, he's a yak monster, right? He runs the ball after the catch really well. Um, I would like for them to get him involved more in the game, especially against big teams, because he was kind of gone in the Georgia game. If he kind of shows up, he can be a monster. Um, you can use him in the red zone. You can do a lot with him. Um, and he blocks, I would assume, well, given how big he is. Um, three, I went with Phil uh, Jerkovic. I have no idea how to pronounce his name. I don't think anybody does. Um, Evan, listed, Evan listed the stats excellently. I would add to that that he averaged 11.3 yards per attempt, which, of course, is amazing. Um, and he had four rushing attempts for 42 yards, which averaged out for 10.5. Um, he was just really lethal. I mean, I hate it when commentators call white quarterbacks sneaky athletic. <laughs> you see that a lot. Um, but he's sneaky athletic. Like, that kid can run for a big boy. Like, he's 6'5", and then he just kind of runs the ball really well. Like, not not Tim Tebow well, but, like, he kind of he can move like that. He can just – that's an element of his game that we thought Book had, but we don't really see Book use it. Um, Jerkovic was ready to uh, – to uh, to run at any moment, so that was good to see from him that he's got that dimension to his game. Um, he had uh, one throw that was awful, but the rest were pretty spot on. Um, playing Bowling Green helped, but hopefully he can build on this because I think confidence in quarterbacks it's it goes hand in hand. Um, two, I went with Ian Book. Um, he was fantastic. Um, Eighty percent uh, on his throws, thirteen point one yards per attempt, which again fantastic. We've been harping on him to get the ball further down the field. Uh, he had five touchdowns and a QBR of 98.4. Just that's insane. Um, it is Bowling Green. Keep that in mind. Um, but to get the wrinkles out of his game is exactly what we need. And my first horseman, um, this is a little bit of a cheat, but I went with the offensive line as a unit. Um, no, none of this would have been possible without them. Um, Book and Djokovic, um combined for 340 passing yards. We got 223 on the ground, uh, and they gave up no sacks. Um, obviously, that's not wholly attributed to them, but the fact that um, I'm sure you guys noticed, Ian Book had so much time in the pocket to throw the ball, um, and he was just hitting open receivers. Um, the running backs were moving the ball well. Um, all of them were running it well, um, and it's just I think the offensive line as a whole really just dominated. You could tell they were bigger. They were more physical, um, and we're going to need them going forward too, especially against um, – Michigan. Uh, we'll get to that scum program later. Um, and yeah, and that's it for me. What about you, Steve? Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm not going to really rehearse the stats because you guys uh, had, had covered that entirely. Uh, well, there's only one stat line I do want to give. Uh, so the first horseman, Bookie, beautiful game. Love him. Um, you know, Claypool is my second horseman. You know, two touchdowns, just doing what he does. Uh, and then, obviously, Javon McKinley had a big day as well. Again, exactly as you, excuse me, exactly as you pointed out, would love to see that consistency uh, start to break through in, in the bigger games against tougher opponents. But yeah, I mean, he he uh, he he performed when when the time came, so that's good. Uh, and then my fourth horseman, uh, I also kind of cheated here, and I did go with the unit. I just went on the other side of the ball, and just <laughs> in, in the entire defensive unit. I mean, we gave up 228 yards. I'm sure a bunch of those were in garbage time, and the game was over by halftime. Um, 
you know, we had two sacks, an interception. The, I mean, the interception should have just been batted down, but whatever. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll take the 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 turnover margin. Um, eight tackles for loss on the day by the defensive line and, and the front seven. And I'm sure Aloe Gilman probably came in and killed somebody as well. I just didn't see it. Uh, <laughs> and then seven QB hurries. And I'm pretty sure we did block a kick, did we not? We did, yeah. Yeah. So so all things considered, I mean, we. Again, yeah, exactly as Evan had alluded to at the beginning of the game, uh, at the beginning of the game, beginning of the podcast. Uh, you know, this is a, a NFL, a playoff caliber defense. Uh, if they play like this, and 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 uh, to be honest, I don't even think they give up twenty three points against Georgia. If if we were a little bit more efficient on offense, and but you know, let's not harp on the past. Let's uh, let's focus on the future. And and this defense is absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah, it's pretty much um, uh, that's what I had for the Horsemen. Yeah, absolutely. They're really coming into their own. Um, I know a lot of the advanced stats are good on Notre Dame, but not great yet. And um, I think that keeps improving as we go along. All right. Now we're going to move on to everybody's favorite new segment, um, Juice in My Nuts. Let's start with our guest, Evan, um, who definitely approved this term in pre-screening before we brought this to the pod a couple weeks ago. Um, what was your Juice in My Nuts moment? Um, so two things. Um, and I know I'm slightly cheating, but one, when I checked the score of the Notre Dame game, because I was, um, I was out Saturday. So when I checked and saw it was 52, nothing, and I realized that I would have a very easy record, um, on the, on the Bowling Green section, but, uh, Jerkovich is touchdown. It was just like, it was just a sort of like clarifying moment. It was a really good, um, it was a really good moment. And it was just like everything that's sort of been invested in Jerkovich in terms of hope and potential was just sort of shown in that moment. And, it really is proof that no matter what happens with book, if, you know, God forbid something happens in an injury, if he has to sort of pull a, pull a Tua or pull a Jalen Hurts in a game because book just didn't have it, Djokovic can step up to the plate and do it. And that was my juice, in, juice in my nuts moment. Fair enough. Steve. I'm going to let you go first. Cause I have an asshole one to go through. Oh, that's fine. Um, Mine's kind of a cheat one, too, and mine's kind of an asshole one, too. I wonder if we picked the same thing. Um, mine is when it was over. That was it. As soon as USC was officially the next opponent, that put the juice in my nuts. I am ready for the Trojans. I couldn't give a fuck about Bowling Green. As soon as that game officially hit double zero, USC was next, and that's what put the juice in my nuts. <laughs> Uh, so I think mine makes me a little bit more of an asshole here. So uh, my juice in my nuts moment did not come from Saturday, believe it or not. It came from Sunday. Uh, and, and Evan, I'm not sure. You, you, I know you mentioned that you are a golfer. Uh, so I'm, you're, you probably recognize this landmark right here. So I spent my weekend, let me preserve bandwidth spent my weekend down uh, on Hilton Head Island on a golf trip not a vacation there's a distinct difference uh, <laughs> and I was with a couple of golf buddies and we were at the Sea Pines Resort down in Hilton Head where we uh, played a couple of rounds throughout the weekend five total rounds ending ultimately on Sunday with Harbor Town Golf Links which is where they play the RBC Heritage each year which is the week after the Masters it's been my bucket list course for Literally since 2011, when I saw Brant Snedeker win uh, the tournament there alive. So the juice in my nuts moment came when I was on the 18th tee box. And it's it, it's absolutely iconic. If you look up Harbortown Golf Links 18th hole, you will see that it is just a 
absolutely stunning view and I pulled out my driver and I was having some trouble uh, from time to time throughout the day, kind of hooking it every once in a while. Uh, but I, ca- I stayed down on the ball and absolutely fucking spanked a drive dead straight about 300 yards into the wind. It was beautiful. Uh, I ended up chunking my next shot. It was a seven iron that went out of bounds and it rolled about 11 feet and I totally screwed everything up. But the juice in my nuts moment was in fact my drive on 18 on the most iconic hole that's been the background of my phone for about two years now. So that's that was the, the best uh, moment for my Notre Dame weekend against Bowling Green. Um, quickly before before I move on, um, I um, I bet golf um, occasionally and I actually bet I actually have won money at the Heritage once. It was the year Brandon Grace won. He was forty to one to win, and uh, yeah, paid 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 for a nice bit of my next year's uh, college uh, university tuition. <laughs> nice, nice. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what: if you ever have an opportunity to get there, uh, I don't care if you have to sell crack to be able to get down there. It is, it is <laughs> one. It was the m- most absolutely stunning experience I've I've ever had. So ten out of ten recommend. Yeah, no, Harbor Town. Harbor Town's amazing. <laughs> that was that was good. Crack and golf. Um, I, I think Which I'd like to go down there. Sometimes are synonymous. <laughs> of <Yeah>. course. <laughs> I'm sure we have a lot of um, both crack addicts and golf golfers um, in our audience. So you uh, you hit two key demographics there, guys. Um, I think we should uh, head into a section that's teed up for our guest today. Um, as he said, he's a Florida Gators fan. Um, so what he can do is provide us an SEC perspective because although we are homers, um, it is good to keep an eye on what's going around college football and um, how it can affect Notre Dame getting into the playoffs. So Evan, I will give you the floor to give us your USC landscape. My SEC landscape, not my USC landscape. We'll get there later. Yeah, there's too many C's. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so the, uh, so the SEC, uh, you're looking at four undefeated teams right now, LSU, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. Alabama has a tough game this week, uh, at Texas A&M. Florida and LSU are playing this week, uh, at Death Valley. So there's no way both those teams will be undefeated. But from an Notre Dame perspective, the thing that you want is you want all of the teams that have to play Georgia to do as well as humanly possible so that if Georgia beats Florida when they play in Jacksonville in two weeks or whatever it is, um, that, that win looks as impressive as possible. Um, like you want Florida to, to, to have no losses other than the Georgia game. If they lose that game, you want to have uh, like, you want Alabama, you either want Alabama to get two losses and just be done, or you want Alabama undefeated in the title game. But um, the thing about the SEC is like, hopefully it'll cannibalize itself. And the good thing about Florida winning last week uh, is that Auburn is now like Auburn now take, took the loss and now they can go and try and take out Alabama and everyone can just cheer for uh, kick six redux and Alabama get screwed in Auburn. Um, but yeah, there's four undefeated SEC teams right now. That's mathematically going to be three this week because two of the two of the four play each other. Georgia has I don't even know if Georgia plays this week or if they have some non-entity. South but, Carolina. So they have a non-entity. Okay, good to know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, uh, if you if you want to just eliminate teams out of the playoff, you're cheering for Alabama to lose this week at a and you're looking for LSU to lose to Florida this week because, frankly, there's no way uh, Florida is as good as LSU, and so you just want to get rid of LSU out of the picture as much as simply possible. Create just carnage, mon carnage in the SEC West, and pray to God that everybody comes out of there with one loss and nobody has a better resume than Notre Dame. 
Yeah, perfectly said. Um, do you think um, that the Alabama-LSU game in a few weeks is going to have a huge impact um, for, like, did, do you think one of them beating the other matters more? I mean, like, LSU is just like, like, the ideal situation is Florida beats LSU this week and then LSU beats Alabama the week after. And just, mm-hmm. excuse me, you just get carnage upon carnage and, like, everyone can get a loss and maybe everybody gets two. Um, but, I mean, that would rely on LSU beating Alabama and that just didn't happen, so... Um, like the the thing the thing that would worry Notre should worry Notre Dame fans is two SEC teams coming in. Whoever yes. wins, he's getting in. But the thing is that if you assume Clemson goes undefeated because their schedule is just useless, you assume one SEC spot. Like you're 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 starting to get to the point where you need losses to start coming, and so you don't want a second SEC in contention team in contention, and you don't want uh, the Big Twelve getting a team. Yep. Just the number of, of viable options over which Notre Dame is sort of in the same general tier is just lessened. So the committee has less opportunity to do dumb things. Yeah. And I, I think too, um, the thing that scares me the most is uh, an 11 and one Alabama that doesn't get into the title game, but can then unseed Notre Dame for like the fourth seed or something. So yeah, like if Alabama, yeah, because Alabama has a good uh, has a decent schedule this year. So I would I would ideally want Alabama to get into that title game with a loss and then get a second loss to Georgia, or Alabama to get two losses before that title game. Um, I how do you still hope Alabama has six losses before that game? <laughs> well, no, 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 the dream is A and M beats Alabama this week. Um, LSU beats uh, no Alabama beats LSU, and then Auburn beats Alabama. And then Alabama's two loss and, and not going anywhere. And then it's just like Auburn or LSU, both of whom would get waxed by Georgia. So that's fine. Yeah, that's fair. Do you think um, the Gators have a shot this year in the playoff? <sighs> Probably not. <laughs> we'll be we'll be competitive. We'll be we'll be like vaguely competitive. The, like, the problem is that Georgia's like good. And so generally the way that Florida has had like their backdoor path in is go like 11 and one and then or like like you can line the schedule up they go 10 and they go 11 and one they get into the title game and then they win as like 13 point dogs but like they can't afford to lose to georgia this year and that yeah. game terrifies me as a gators fan yeah that's a that's a big one is that the uh what do they call that is that the i don't remember back? The yeah they have a they have a name for that rivalry it's a good one now they played in a neutral site game um yeah, but at the jaguar stadium every year Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, well, thank you for that um, recap, Evan. I know our, our listeners will really appreciate having a different perspective come in. Um, I think now we'll move on to the opponents because I think we want the bulk of this to be on USC because it is rivalry week. Um, so just to give you guys all a recap, because I know you don't want to have to see how Michigan did. Nobody wants to look at that. So I'll, I'll do that for you. Um, Michigan beat a ranked Iowa at home um, in Ann Arbor 10 to 3. Um, because the Big Ten is the worst thing to ever happen to football. I don't know who wants to watch that, but they should be really tested for insanity. Um, Michigan now plays Illinois at home, and then they go to Penn State the week before Notre Dame, which really pisses me off because they could have a second loss, and that win, if we get it in Ann Arbor, would look a little less impressive. Um, But I know this is hard for you guys, but you know, hold your nose, 
and keep cheering for Michigan to uh, to win until that Notre Dame game because they can do us a lot of help in terms of the resume. Um, next was a game against two of our opponents. Um, Louisville beat Boston College 41-39, to which makes our 18-point win at Louisville look really good if they actually start doing some damage and can become a bowl team. Um, they go now to three and two Boston college is three and three. Um, Boston college has now lost two games really, really close. So keep an eye on for that because we all know how the Eagles like to play us when we have hopes on the line. Um, next we go to uh, a huge one for us, um, in terms of just staying 500, um, Virginia tech beat Miami 42, 35 to go three and two in the air. Um, getting as many bowl eligible teams as you can on the schedule is huge. So every little thing like that, um, helps Notre Dame. Um, and along those lines, Navy uh, beat Air Force 34-25. Navy's now 3-1. and one. Again, if we can get a Navy team that's, you know, in a bowl position, and if not, maybe even in a ranked position, um, that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, Georgia beat Tennessee handedly 43-14. to 14. Um, To be fair, everyone has beaten Tennessee handedly. Even if they didn't play Tennessee, they've beaten Tennessee handedly. Um, that's just kind of where they are as a program. <laughs> um, the only, it was actually a fantastic week for Notre Dame in terms of opponents. The only thing that hurt was Duke lost to Pitt 33 to 30. Um, we don't play Pitt this year. I know that confuses people cause it seems like we do every goddamn year. Um, and they always play us tough, but, uh, yeah, Duke lost that one. So Duke's three and two on the year. Again, as long as Duke kind of wins eight games, we'd be, we'd be happy with that. Um, and lastly, the huge upset, um, Stanford beat Washington at home in Palo Alto, 23-13. The Cardinal, um, the, the big tree of theirs, um, they now go 3-3, three and three, and now we're looking at a situation where Stanford could do some damage, and Stanford could perhaps turn this season around and uh, and become a decent team by the end of it. So that's our opponent outlook. Do you guys have any uh, comments on that at all? Hilarious that Stanford has potentially a chance to still win the Pac-12 North. <laughs> Pac-12 Power um, Five Conference. So, yeah. so I am. Um, I, I follow a lot of uh, Washington football fans, and oh boy, was that a fun meltdown on uh, on Saturday night. They were all freaking out when they lost, and I, I watched the majority of that game. Like, I have no idea how Stanford won that game, but good for them. <laughs> yeah, considering how awful they've been this year too. Um, but yeah, I think that should bring us to the reason you're all tuning in. It is rivalry week. It is the Southern California Trojans and the Notre Dame fighting Irish. We brought Evan onto this show for a reason. He's been asking ever since we got the podcast started to come on for USC week because he has, um, a good story about USC, uh, one game we watched together. So Evan, I'm going to let you tell our listeners, um, your, your story about the Trojans. So Dylan and I are friends from university, and uh, I know he's a big Notre Dame fan, and so I've been wanting to watch games with him at various points. And his thing was always he didn't want me to watch a rivalry game with him and then have Notre Dame lose because I would be a bad luck term. But he finally relented and let me watch the 2017 Notre Dame-USC game with him uh, at his apartment in downtown Ottawa. So we're, we're very excited. We spend most of the – we're hanging out most of the day, whatever we get get there and then the game's all game's all good notre dame goes three and out does nothing with the ball on the first drive they punt and usc has the ball like on their own 45 like midfield area um and, and who was quarterback just so everyone could know uh, we'll get there in a second don't worry okay um, okay but um 
I, I had been very boastful that Notre Dame was free money on the gambling line. They were going to win by 30. And Dylan didn't believe me for a second. This is USC quarterback uh, Sam Darnold. Um, and I thought Darnold was crap. I still do. The Jets suck. He sucks. And so I'm like, no, no, don't worry, dude. D- don't worry. Darnold will throw a pick right now. You know, it'll be fine. You know, whatever. First play coming out of the out of the thing. There's a USC drops back, whatever. There's a fumble. Neither Dylan or I have ever seen this fumble. We don't <laughs> know that it happened. But hilariously, they call a fumble on the first play after I declared that he was going to throw an interception. Notre Dame takes the ball. They march downfield. They score a touchdown. Same drive. Everything's good. They end up winning by some gargantuan score. I don't yeah. remember. 42-14. My alcohol more than the game by the third quarter. <laughs> But yeah, no, I have, I've always, I've always just loved the fact that Dylan was so intent that like things needed to go well. He was starting to panic. I'm like, don't worry, dude, it's fine. Donald's gonna throw them out of the game, and he fumbles, and we take it right down, score, and we blow them out. And that's exactly what's gonna happen this week. <laughs> I love it. That's uh, it's so funny. You bring up the point that he fumbled it and we haven't seen it. I don't know if people remember the 2017 game and the play Evan's talking about it. It's at right at the start of the game, but apparently USC fumbled the snap and we recovered it. I think they fumbled it, but nobody had ever seen a recovery. There's definitely no recovery evidence on video anywhere. Like that was a, definitely the referees just thought we had it and called it Notre Dame ball and which completely changed the entire game. Um, cause then Notre Dame went on to blow them out. Like you said, um, so yeah, thanks uh, thanks for coming on. Um, that was the first game I think Evan and I ever watched together because I'm a crazy person and uh, I will kick you out if we're starting to play bad. So um, he was uh, he was good luck for that game. Um, unfortunately, he was there for Miami not too long afterwards. <laughs> um, it, yeah, no, we don't. I don't. I don't accept that reality. <laughs> I don't Nobody does. Every events. That's the one game Miami. Hurricanes have won that has been relevant in about 10 years. Anyway, so that should lead us into the big one. Um, it's rivalry week. I can't say that enough. This is the game every year. I know it's been overlooked this year because Georgia on the schedule, but it's the Trojans and the Fighting Irish, and we don't like each other. Um, I'll give you a quick tale of the tape, and then, Steve, I'm going to let you get your thoughts in. Um, just looking at some or some basic USC stuff here. They went five and seven last year, uh, four and five in the Pac-12. Um, of course, we played them in the Coliseum to end the season, which should be the game every year. It should be at South Bend and at LA on Thanksgiving weekend in the US. Um, but whatever, that's a side tangent. Um, it was a game that we didn't really play too well in, so I, I don't really have fond memories of it. Um, but uh, nonetheless, USC is three and two this year. What's important to note is that they are three and zero at home and zero and two on the road with losses coming to BYU in overtime, which was hilarious. But now kind of shot ourselves in the foot there, and a loss to Washington, uh, fourteen point loss on the road. Um, in terms of just basic ESPN efficiency stats, because um, that's the metric I like to give you guys to to look at before the game. Um, USC is 21st in college football offensively. Uh, Notre Dame is 20th, so we have a very close offensive efficiency matchup. Um, that'll be interesting to see how the quarterback injuries play out, and I'll definitely let Evan take that one in a minute. Um, defensively, USC is 51st in efficiency in college football. That is not too good. Notre Dame, on the other hand, is 6th. 
So we have a really huge um, advantage there in terms of um, head-to-head. And overall, USC is 31st. In terms of efficiency, Notre Dame is ninth, and I would like to point out that Virginia is 27th. So that should give you a frame of reference where USC is efficiency, uh, efficiency-wise. And lastly, our advanced metric SP plus, um, the Trojans are 29th in college football, and the Irish are 13th. Um, that's up nine spots from last week. Um, so that's pretty much the primer uh, statistically. I'm going to let uh, you guys kind of give your thoughts on the game. Uh, Steve, why don't you go? Because I've talked too much recently. No, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in in regards to, you know, I guess a uh, preview. Amon Ross and Brown is is absolutely legit. I mean, their entire receiving core is pretty nasty, but they are down to. Forgive me if I'm wrong here. They're down to like their third string QB, right? Yes, yeah. Matt Fink. I have thoughts on Matt Fink. Matt Fink in a minute, so. Uh... Uh, we can, um, I can give them now if you want, or, or we can save them for when I, for when I go. Cause I watched, uh, a, I've watched a lot yeah. of the games he's played in. Um, nice. Take a minute. Yeah. He's not good. He's actively <laughs> bad. He, he is actively bad at the throwing the football thing. He just takes shots and a couple of times that receiving court bails him out, but he's not very good. Um, he's. I think I like he doesn't have enough. Um, he doesn't have enough performances to uh, to qualify under the uh, QBR restrictions. But he's like the 50th best quarterback in the country if you use the unqualified list. He's not very good. Uh, he got billed up by his receivers a bunch against uh, Utah, and he was just like actively bad against Washington. And Washington secondary is quite good. I would say the Notre Dame secondary secondary is at is at least as good. As the uh, as the UW one, and he didn't have a lot of pressure on him, and he's going to have a boatload of it this week. Matt Fink, not very good at quarterbacking. Well, that's promising then. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know too much about the Trojans. I mean, we when we started the uh, the podcast at the beginning of this year or you know, this year's podcast, we did kick off with a quick preview, and you know we were very skeptical of USC even coming into South Bend in, in October with a win on their schedule. Uh, <laughs> I cursed them. That's on me, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, they ha- they have pulled off like some decent quality victories, I suppose. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, they've given up a, a quite a few points um, to some lesser teams, you know, specifically like BYU. Um, yeah, I mean... Third string QB. They do have great wide receivers, but how much is that going to matter against you know our our inferior secondary with an absolutely, I'm sorry, superior secondary with an absolutely crushing and and ridiculous pass rush. So, uh, it, it it the expectation is clearly to win. I mean, the expectation for Notre Dame is to compete for national championships, and we're not going to do so by losing a fucking game to an unranked USC team that is just completely down and totally rebuilding. Now, do they have talent on the roster? Yes, obviously so. They have a couple of four and five stars scattered throughout because it is USC. They're always going to you know get their recruits just like Texas, just like LSU, just like a lot of these big-time programs, and even Miami. Um, but at the 
end of the day that like there there are just some gap years that that are experienced by a lot of programs and and that's uh, you know something that you know USC is currently experiencing. They're they're still in one of those gap years where yeah they have the talent at a lot of positions, but uh, in terms of depth and in terms of coaching, you know Helton is pretty shitty. <laughs> uh, but but it's not like he's been put in an easy position either because there's been a bunch of injuries and a whole bunch of a shit show mess. So um, I mean the, the program is is basically in disarray at the moment. Uh, so it feels good because I hate USC. Like screw them. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I, I think it's probably going to be a little bit tighter because um, you know USC is probably going to come out scripted, and, and hopefully you know our guys can can start blowing up you know their script pretty early and making sure that they can't settle into a groove because with these receivers, if you do settle into a groove, it can become problematic. But all things considered, um, you know, I, I'm confident in a win. There's no reason we shouldn't win, but you know, there's there's a reason that we play the game on Sundays and not on pay, uh, Saturdays and and not on paper. So, um, I, I, th- uh, this week should be all about focus and just execution. Which I mean, every week should should especially be. But you know, when it comes down to a rivalry week, when uh, when there's a little bit extra boiling blood, you know, the last thing we can use is. Um, you know, just some stupid penalties or some guys that are too fa- uh, fired up and, and making some dumb mistakes. Yeah, fair point. If I can um, get in a few points before Evan starts giving off his uh, his scouting report, which he's I'm I'm sure has worked really hard on. Um, I'd like to point out that apparently the weather is going to be really nice until Saturday, and then it's going to drop to freezing. Um, uh, that is hilarious. That is going to be like seventy all week, and then like forty on Saturday. That's good. That that's. Uh, I mean, obviously, those Southern Cal kids in the Pac-12 don't really play um, any tough games uh, in, in terms of weather. Um, also, I'd like to point out: um, Did you guys see Brian Kelly go full Lou Holtz this week? Uh, I uh, I did. I missed that, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I, I missed it as well. Okay, this is amazing. Lou Holtz has a a reputation for being back in the day. Um just outrageous when it comes to the opponents like hyping them up to be an nfl caliber team like you know what i mean like it doesn't matter who we're playing we can't be like they're really really good um this could be a really good game like we'll be playing like you know southern methodist or something it'll be like you know what i think they have it this year i don't know if our defense can take them um anyway lou holtz is kind of known for that so brian kelly did his best lou holtz and he said um, something along the lines of this is the best USC defense he's ever seen in the rivalry, which of course prompted everybody, including Trojans fans, to laugh hilariously and hysterically. Um, and I just wanted to kind of point that out there that uh, <laughs> Kelly, I think, is trolling them a little bit. Um, also, before, I, I was going to ask this maybe next week, but I, it's probably best to ask this now to Steve. Um, obviously, everyone listening at home, USC is the rival. That is, they're the number one rival. They're the only game that matters. If we had to lose all of our rivalry except one, we're keeping Southern Cal. That being said, um, there's this huge thing among Notre Dame fans of which program you hate more. And I would like to ask Steve who he hates more ahead of time before this game is played, because if we lose, it could uh, affect his answer, and if we win, it could affect his answer. So, Steve... Um, Michigan, Southern Cal, who do you hate more? Uh, I, I would go with Southern Cal. I, I do. I mean, and I, I have a special fucking hatred in my heart for Michigan. Don't get me wrong. Um, 
Uh, it, it's just by the time that my Notre Dame fandom came into full blossoming effect was like 2004, 2005. We don't have to venture down too far. If you're a Notre Dame fan, you, you know what I'm talking about in, in regards to why I would despise them. Um, I, I just I've never seen a single redeeming quality about the program, the school. And, and frankly, I just don't really like California or Los Angeles. I mean, just personal preference. I'm I'm a Boston guy, so like you know Boston, LA. Like I'm I'm just supposed to hate that city inherently. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I just have no goodwill whatsoever, with the exception of two players in the history of the entire program. One being Troy Palomalu, the other being Juju Smith-Schuster. As a Steelers fan, uh, other than that, everything about USC can go screw. Uh, I also hate Michigan with a fiery passion, and and the you know late twenty tens that was a fucking problem for me as well. Um, but yeah, I, I I would definitely say uh, one USC two Michigan. All right, um, I'm actually going to disagree here. Um, I started watching football in the twenty tens, and um, there's nothing I hate more than Michigan football. Of course, USC is the rival. That's the game I care about. But I kind of hope the entire state of Michigan burns. Um, and that's not fair to Michigan State and to the other Michigan schools. But God damn, as Michigan has done so much evil um, where it's definitely deserved. I just hate the Wolverines um, so much. I kind of almost romanticize USC in the way where I don't. I definitely don't like them, but I, I kind of like the rivalry. I like the idea of these two being the two biggest and historic schools, programs, and college football, duking it out. So I kind of like that element of USC that they're very historic too. Um, but, I mean, there's no no putting any other way. We don't like both of them. Um, but I was just curious out there. I'd like to see um, the listeners kind of give us a, a shout on who they hate more um, between those two schools because um, I would imagine it's only those two schools you would hate. Um, so, yeah, let us know. Um, and now I'm going to let Evan get into his uh, his hard work on Southern Cal. Um, they're bad. Uh, that's the short version of this. The long version of this is they are a finesse team. Their rapes take their offense is especially with Matt Fink. Like it takes a long time to get their offenses going and they're not going to have time this week. Um, it's a lot of deep passes, which you need time to, to let the roads develop. And, and he's, they're, they're just not going to have it. Um, the uh, Fink wasn't particularly good against Washington. Um, Washington has a pretty good defensive line. They got some pressure, um, and they just didn't have it. Um, the receivers are good, but the receivers can only do so much if you're being thrown a hospital pass. Um, it's just how this works. You can't always make a play out of nothing if you have a bad quarterback. And, I mean, it's not necessarily a, a sort of fault of USC. They're on their last scholarship quarterback. But that's what happens when you lose two quarterbacks uh, in, th- you know, five games. But... The thing, the thing that I'm actually really excited about is USC's defense is bad. I, I don't understand what Brian Kelly was saying because um, Jacob Eason, uh, the UW quarterback, like he's not great. He was like actively bad last week at Stanford, and the USC game was the best game he's ever played. It was just, uh, it was, it was a, it was a dissection of that offense. Um, the UW running game was effective, and it's not generally speaking pretty effective. Um, like I, I think this is going to be—I think this is going to be a big game. I think Claypool is going to beast. I think you're going to see—I uh, think you're going to see a lot of really effective passing. I don't think Book is going to have too many problems with uh, Happy Feet. I think 
the uh, the offensive line is really good against Bowling Green, and I think they'll continue to be good against USC. Um, uh, Easton did have a lot of time in the pocket um, in the UW game, and I think the book will have similar, similarly uh, good, uh, a similarly good pocket to to work in. And I don't think he'll have to be doing his happy feet scrambling nonsense like he was doing in the first few games of the year, especially on third downs, as you guys uh, so brilliantly uh, figured out last week. Um, I just, I, I don't think USC is very good. Like they have a, they have essentially a fluke win, but they weren't particularly good against, uh, Fresno State to start the season. They were actively bad against UW. Like when they play actual quality competition, they lose and they don't lose particularly closely. And I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see that this week. I think book has a good game. I think the, the, I think the. Running game is going to be as efficient, if not more efficient, than it was against Bowling Green this week. I think something in the six, seven yards uh, per carry range is is going to be really good, and and should be should be there given uh, given the the holes in the uh, in the USC uh, run defense. And I think it's going to be a very solid, balanced offensive attack. And I just think that USC is USC is very beatable. Yeah, well said. Um, I definitely appreciate that because we haven't caught too many Southern Cal games. I've seen them play um, parts of BYU and parts of Utah and even parts of Fresno, actually. I've seen USC play a fair amount, actually. Um, but I haven't done anything too in-depth on them. Um, they're a team I don't really enjoy watching too much. Um, they're just... They're... I don't know. It's it's that rivalry thing. I don't like to see USC do well, um, but at the same time, you kind of like to see how they play. So thank you for at least providing some actual thoughtful analysis that me and Steve would totally forget. Um, just oh, out of pure one, hatred. The, the, the one thing you were saying, the weather is not going to be particularly uh, good in Notre Dame on Saturday. Very yeah. bad for USC. Very bad for long passing, uh, for, for deep passing attacks. They, Absolutely. There's, I, like, weather neutral, I don't think it's going to be good. Weather not being great, I think that's even better for Notre Dame, given the sort of like finesse style that the uh, Trojans play. Yeah, and you got to consider too, it's a night game in South Bend, um, and Notre Dame does not lose night games to rivals in South Bend, which kind of leads me to something I'd like to ask you guys. A little gimmick um, Notre Dame's doing this week is the Irish wear green green out. Um, we saw that with Michigan at the home opener last year, which was fantastic. Everything looked beautiful. Um, Steve, what do you think about it? Do you think it's going to work out as much? Do you think they had enough time to get people to wear green for the game? Because Michigan, it was kind of hyped up all summer. We're going to wear green. Um, do you think the fans are going to actually turn out in green uh, this year? Yeah, and and I, I think it's it's very easy for people you know to to dig into their Notre Dame quote on you know, archives or Notre Dame uh, gear and to find something green, or you, you can always buy something for. And not a reasonable price, but uh, so so from this the crowd standpoint, I think they'll they'll pretty much do a good job, and I I'm pretty sure that the student section they usually get t-shirts. Um, yeah, so I mean I, I'm I'm confident that you know we will green it out, and and that's cool. The only thing I don't like is don't green out the stadium if we're not going to wear the Kelly green jerseys. <laughs> so, so I don't know if we're going to, we're probably not going to. And, and the last time we wore the Kelly greens, we had blue numbers, which was like hideous, like I keep know. the gold, keep the gold numbers. Like, what are we doing? So, um, yeah, I mean, 
And I think, the Notre Dame, um, the media account, whenever they say, like, Irish wear green, it's in that blue font. So if they do wear the green, I'm worried they're going to go back with that one. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just gross. I mean, uh, just for the love of God, understand the clash of colors here and what your color scheme is. <laughs> so Notre Dame um, fans don't understand this. We wear, like, eight different colors to a game, which is why you can never see us. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm confident that, you know, I, you know the, the Irish eyes are, you know, the, the Irish army is going to be able to uh, mobilize and, and, uh, and green out. But um, uh, for me, it's just kind of like, well, what's the point of doing it if we're not going to, where the the Kelly Greens with the gold uh, jerseys, but uh, gold uh, gold trim rather. So that's that's my thoughts. I mean, if, if there's any, it, it, we are growing at a pretty rapid pace, and it's great, and and, and I, I love doing this on a weekly basis. If there's any way that we can imbue on the university, uh, Jack Swarbick and Coach Kelly and anyone in that office, if if you guys can just like have the understanding that that green and blue was absolutely hideous and please make a change for the love of god i will gladly be a consultant for you guys for the mere cost of fifty five thousand dollars <laughs> fair enough i've always wanted them to wear green and it was kind of disappointing when that was the green they brought out finally um they've done green out twice um in my viewing time as a notre dame fan uh, oklahoma in 2013 which did not work out at all um, because Oklahoma came in red, and uh, half the stadium didn't care. And then last year, Michigan worked beautifully, especially at night um, under the lights. I think if you are serious about this, you're going to have to give everybody in the crowd some green merch or something. <laughs> you know, don't be cheap, Notre Dame. You know, Pom-poms. give them a towel. Yeah, ah, Michigan. Um, so, um, kind of. Not wrapping this up right away, but to give everybody a little bit of a a primer on this series, because this is a great rivalry game. Um, This is our 91st matchup against the USC Trojans. All-time Notre Dame leads the series 48 wins, 37 losses, and 5 draws. Um, That's 11. Uh, 11 win lead however with all the vacated stuff which we do not recognize on this podcast but if you go on wikipedia what you will see is 46 wins for notre dame 36 losses and five draws that's because the bush push year was vacated and then two of notre dame's wins recently have been vacated um again that's bullshit um the real the real all-time records 48 37 and 5 um which goes to show if you're playing one of the most historic programs year in and year out and you have an 11 point win in the series i i think you're the maybe the best program, uh, at least around. So um, just kind of recently, um, Notre Dame has not won three straight against USC since, two th- uh, since 1999 to 2001. We would have that opportunity um, on Saturday to make it three. So that goes to show how we haven't had sustained success in this series because um, obviously in the early 2000s, um, USC dominated. However, in the last 10, Notre Dame is 6-4 and four against Southern Cal. Um, they've kind of turned that back in into our favor. In the last five, we're three and two. Our two losses were in just brutal years where we were kind of decimated with injuries before we got to the game. Um, and we haven't lost at home to the USC since 2011. Um, and that was one of Notre Dame's cringy years right before um, they made that title run. So um, series-wise, this is turning back in the favor of the Irish the way it should be. Um, I mean, we make that claim to be the greatest program ever, and when you have an 11 lead over USC, that that kind of um, should cement that. Uh, So obviously building on that would be important. Um, Kelly has a very good record against USC, especially at home. So these are a lot of just kind of recent history factors to throw in there. Also, this rivalry is awesome. I feel like that kind of gets lost in the uh, in the grand scheme of college football sometimes because it's not always played on Thanksgiving weekend. 
But um, it, it is truly one of the most historic. Notre Dame and USC for the longest time were the uh, the two greatest. I mean, they had they had a the the Ohio State Michigan's like a was that a nine year war or something like that. U, USC and Notre Dame had like an eleven year war where like four national championships were won versus like Michigan and Ohio State didn't win any in that time. But Notre Dame and USC have always been playing for that championship game. So this is a really awesome rivalry. It's, of course, um, not a conference rivalry. It's not geographic. It's just awesome. It's just two great programs kind of playing since the dawn of time. Based and, off um, coaches' wives that wanted to travel. Pretty much. And boy, did it ever work out. Um, and something I'd like to point out as well is this is actually has made pop culture before. This is just kind of a, a tidbit information. Um, but in the movie Die Hard, um, the security guard is watching Notre Dame USC on TV. And in The Godfather Part 2, there is a scene um, in uh, in the movie where one of the characters is watching Notre Dame play USC. Um, so I thought that would kind of be some, some neat uh, information to kind of share with you guys to show that this rivalry means something. Um, it's a big game, uh, and it's something that we should be very proud of. So we'll get into score predictions uh, for the game. Um, Evan, I'll let you go first. Um, what's the what's the spread this week? It's Notre Dame by favored by something. I don't know. I s- thought I saw eleven. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was just wondering if it had moved. Uh, Notre Dame forty-five, USC nine. Oh wow, big one! I I really really don't like this USC team. Fair enough, Steve. Thirty-four ten. Nice. Um, so you guys are going with big blowouts there. Um, I'm going to go along with that. I'm going to have a 38 to 20 Notre Dame beats USC. Um, I think this game maybe kind of hangs close for a little while, but I think Notre Dame pulls ahead um, quite significantly. And by the end of it, it's just kind of a blowout. Everybody's happy. Um, USC will drop to three and three, although it is a loss they can take because the Pac-12 South is still an option for them. Losing to Notre Dame doesn't affect that. So we're going to have to unfortunately root for the Trojans after this game. But as far as I'm concerned, we're going to blow them out. We're a better team. We're a better program. Uh, we're a way better fan base. Um, and I think it's going to all show. I think we're going to have a great atmosphere. We're going to wear some green, and we're going to kick some ass. So before we completely end this podcast, um, which I'm now dubbing part one of scum, of course, part two will be the Michigan week, um, I would like to play a game that maybe me and Steve can start competing in <laughs> this year, um, but I'll, I'll include Evan, where I'm going to give you guys five games from this week, and I just want you to pick the winner of the game. Uh, we don't really need to preview it or anything, but just kind of what your thoughts are um, and who you think is going to win to kind of see um, how everyone's skills are. So, uh, is everybody ready? Yes. Ready. Also, also, just for the record, I've already told Dylan that I have guesses of what three of the five games are, and I am... A thousand percent correct that the three that I thought were going to be here are on this list. Well, you think, but I have not disclosed it with anybody. Also, uh, if you're new to our podcast, we uh, previously play a lot of games. Um, Ask a Canadian might make a comeback someday. Um, So we like to kind of be lighthearted here. Uh, So Steve, Evan, Oklahoma, Texas, the Red River rivalry, showdown, shootout, whatever they keep changing that name to. It's a great rivalry. It's a historic one between two great programs. At a neutral site game, I believe, at the Cotton Bowl. So, uh, who do you got to win, and uh, maybe why? Texas, because Oklahoma always, uh, when Oklahoma is good, they always are supposed to win the Red River rivalry, and then they don't. When Texas is good, they're supposed to win the Red River rivalry, and they don't. 
the team that you don't expect to win this game always wins this game. Texas are substantial underdogs. They're winning it, right? Take the take the Longhorns. Fair point. Steve? Yeah, uh, just Texas. I mean, I, I think Oklahoma's just overrated. I think their schedule's shit. I don't think it, they play anyone. At the very least, te- uh, Texas is battle-tested against LSU, uh, even though they did lose. But... Um, I mean, they held in tight. Sam Ellinger is a hell of a fucking quarterback, and and he's a, an absolute animal running the ball too. So, um, I mean, yeah, Jalen Hurts. You had a cool run against you know Alabama A and T Tech Nickel School of of the South with the blinds, and that was fun. <laughs> but but now you're going to play an actual defense with an actual secondary, and I don't think it's going to be as simple as it has been for him. So that's my reason. Interesting. Um, I think we're all in agreement here. Uh, I'd taken Texas too. Um, maybe it's sort of hope because Oklahoma losing again would help all the uh, the process of eliminating the Big reason. Twelve. Um, I think Texas has a better defense. At least they did last year. Um, so I feel like Oklahoma might run into them. But honestly, this is going to be a hell of a game. It's going to be a, a huge shootout. Um, you never know who's going to win this game. That's been one of the more fun games to watch, as Evan has mentioned. Um, so fair enough. We're all in agreement on Texas. Um, next, uh, we're going to have the Alabama Crimson Tide going to Texas A&M. They are 16 and a half point favorites. What do you think? Um, I'm going to just be boring and chalk here, Alabama. I don't think they cover the 16 and a half, but I think they do win. Um, A&M is always the team that everybody thinks should be good, but unless Johnny Manziel is walking through that door, I'm taking the Crimson Tide. Fair enough. Steve? Yeah, I'm boring too. This is probably a 24-point Alabama victory, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. I think we keep getting our hopes up for Texas A&M, and uh, it just doesn't come through. I also took um, Alabama there. Um, The Crimson Tide, unfortunately, I think are going to win that game. But who knows? Maybe we can get a big upset. We haven't had a big upset yet in college football, so maybe that'll be the one. Um, Next, um, I got the Michigan State Spartans going to Wisconsin, who's 10.5-point favorites. Who do you got and why? I'll just keep going first. Uh, Michigan State. Uh, Wisconsin is overrated because they beat the the, uh, ever-living tar out of Michigan, but Michigan's not very good, so that's not as impressive a victory as people would want to make it seem. Um, I think Michigan State's got a really good defense. Offense is a little suspect, but I don't necessarily think that Wisconsin's the team that's going to take advantage of that. I'm taking the Spartans to win and uh, obviously cover the 10.5. Yeah, the um, you know the, the the heart says the Spartans, the mind uh, the mind says the the, the Badgers. I uh, would love to see Michigan State pull this off. I have no animus against Michigan State. Even I, um, I don't particularly like them because they are a rival. Um, although we haven't played in, in quite some time, uh, but it, it would also create uh, quite quite the carnage in the uh, the the Big Ten, which I, it all in turn helps us eventually. So. Um, rooting for Michigan State, but I think Wisconsin wins, unfortunately. Fair enough. Um, I'm kind of with you, Steve, there, too. I think Wisconsin is going to pull this off because I was going to take Michigan State, but they disappointed against Ohio State, so I, I don't know if they will be able to go into Wisconsin and kind of hold that game close. I do think they will cover in the end, so any gamblers out there, I'm, I think Michigan State covers. Um, I do think Wisconsin is overrated, like Evan said, but I just don't think Michigan State's good enough this year to to get that upset. Um, but speaking of another Big Ten game that could be an upset, um, we're moving on to Penn State 
going uh, on the road to Iowa. Um, that's another one that could have big implications on the playoff. What do you guys think? Penn State, Iowa are god-awful. They are terrible. They are useless. They are the worst. Penn State, in a route. Yeah, um, I, I would say Penn State by at least uh, 14. I mean, it, th- this might be tight just because Kinnick Stadium is a little bit tricky to play in, and Iowa somehow like finds a way to play good in big games for the most part, even though they're mainly like three-star prospects. But um, I, I just I don't see it. I yeah, this is this is just going to be a Penn State victory. I'm I'm taking Iowa. Um, every year, Iowa tends to upset somebody in the Big Ten. And uh, I think this year it's going to be Penn State. Um, it's a game in Iowa. That's one of the factors. One of the factors, and I swear to you, I actually looked up the time of kickoff because I think that could be a real uh, important factor. And is it, it is a 7. No, it's a 7.30 kickoff. And I think just crowds are better when it's 7.30, you know, when it's a night game in your home barn. So I'm taking Iowa to kind of sneak out a real garbage game there. Although it'll be, it'll probably be an interesting one. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, that would that would help us out for sure. Um, getting Penn State out of the way would would be nice as well, especially for Michigan. I hate that I even had to say that. Um, but moving on to the big one, college game day. The Florida Gators are going to Baton Rouge to play the LSU Tigers. Um, Evan, the Gators fan, who do you got? What do you think? What do you think I'm gonna do the week after we? We just went as underdogs at home to Auburn, and we kicked their tiny little Alabama keisters back to Alabama. We're going to go into Baton Rouge. We're going to do what we did last time we went to Baton Rouge. We are going to win the damn game on the field. Gators. Fair enough. That's That gave me confidence. I almost just ran through the wall. <laughs> Steve? Uh, ugh, now, this is the hardest one to pick. Uh, and again, this is this would be me rooting for uh, Florida, but in my mind, it's saying that LSU is going to come out at home just because it is a, a home game for the LSU. Uh, I don't like LSU. I don't like them at all. I've I've pretty much disliked them in their entirety since 2006. Um, yeah, so I, I, this this is easily the hardest one. And what if there's a line that's above four and a half, then I think you got to hammer the, the under on, on that where I mean, you know, hammer the, uh, the Gators on that as, as dogs. Um, last time I saw the line, it was North of 10. That's that's what I got. I think this is probably a field goal game. Uh, but yeah, gambling, gambling corner, uh, Texas and the points Gators and the points and, um, Michigan state and the points. Are yeah, all, so are all very solid um, plays. And yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts. Is that it's going to be tight? Uh, I I think LSU edges out, but I I don't want to see it. Yeah, I, I think I'm in agreement with you too. As much as I want to see the Gators win for Evan's sake and for our own, I think LSU has something cooking this year. Um, I wouldn't sleep on the Gators. I think this game could go either way. I think it could turn into a blowout too. I think if LSU can move the ball and Florida can't keep up, that it could turn into a bloat. But I also think Florida could totally go in there and just shut everything down because LSU does not have a good defense this year. Um, I am going to take LSU, but I think Florida does cover. I think it'll be a good loss for Florida, um, and it'll kind of keep them around if they can beat Georgia. Um, but overall, um, we're, we're in agreement with most of them. Um, pretty much that's it. If you guys at home want to 
keep uh, keep score, play along with us, and see which one of us is the best at predicting college football because we were very awful in the bowl season. Um, Steve, myself, and our other co-host, P. Wagon, who's on sabbatical, we all lost to my girlfriend who doesn't know anything about college football. So we're not very great at this, but <laughs> um, hopefully we're improving. Um, any last words, guys, before we wrap this up? Evan. Uh Go Notre Dame, go Florida. Please, God, Notre Dame, like, win by a lot because I'm definitely betting on you, minus whatever the spread is right now. That's that's really that's really the extent of my commentary. Just win, win big. I, I, I can't deal with I can't deal with like depressed like Dylan, and then the second quarter if they're down like twelve, I just can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be me right there along with them. Um, well, I mean, my, my thoughts here, uh, Evan, pleasure meeting you. Thanks so much for coming on. You were great. Uh, had a lot of awesome insight here and, and definitely always appreciate that. Um, I hate USC and I hope we blow them out by 45 and hopefully carnage in every single, you know, um, you know, uh, conference out there with, uh, with some big matchups coming up this week and pretty much just, you know, go Irish and, Please, for the love of God, win this fucking game. <laughs> well said. Um, yeah, again, thanks, Evan, for coming on. Um, for all of you guys listening at home, uh, we're growing exponentially. We, we can't thank you enough. Um, follow us on Horseman Pod on Twitter. Um, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we love the fan engagement. We love hearing from you guys. Um, definitely a big shout-out to Herb Smith, one of the best, best in the business. Um, all I have to say is don't just beat SC, bury SC. Go Irish.